Hi, everybody. My name is Mary Beard, and I'm here to read the passage this morning, which is in Matthew 1. Matthew 1, 18 through 25. The birth of Jesus Christ came about this way. After his mother Mary had been engaged to Joseph, it was discovered before they came together that she was pregnant from the Holy Spirit. So her husband Joseph, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her publicly, decided to divorce her secretly. But after he had considered these things, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife, because what has been conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to name him Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. Now all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. See, the virgin will become pregnant and give birth to a son, and they will name him Emmanuel, which translated, God is with us. When Joseph woke up, he did as the Lord's angel had commanded him. He married her, but did not have sexual relations with her until she gave birth to a son, and he named him Jesus. I'll say the word of the Lord, and you say thanks be to God. The word of the Lord. Let's pray. God, I um, just thank you, and we praise you for this time that we get to celebrate and look forward to Jesus coming as our king. God, that you are with us. Um, what a gift uh, that is and something to be celebrated greatly, Lord. And so I just pray for Alec as he um, talks about this passage this morning. Um, Holy Spirit, would you just speak through him? Um, give him the words to say. And would you just open our hearts to hear what we need to hear this morning? In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Mary. I also was not afraid to take Mary as my wife, and it was the best decision I ever made. So, <laughs> uh, My name is Alec Beard. If I haven't had the chance to meet you yet, um, let me just say I'm really, really glad that you're here. We recognize that you could be anywhere in the Nashville area this morning, and yet you've chosen to be here with us in the midst of this crazy season, and we don't take that for granted. We are so glad that you're here. We are in the midst of our Advent series, where each week we have been pausing to look at one of the characters within the birth story of Jesus. We've talked about Zechariah and Elizabeth, and how the angel came to them in their old age and said they were going to have a baby. And if you'll remember that story, it was Zechariah who talked to the angel Gabriel, and it was Zechariah who said to the angel, yeah, but are we really going to have a baby? Like, is that really possible? So naturally, Gabriel struck Zechariah with muteness, and he did not speak until his son was born. And, and David noted for us beautifully that it was in the silence that Zechariah experienced that his faith grew and his heart was prepared to explode in prophecy the moment that it was over. We've talked about Mary. Mary, for most of us, is the character within this story that we're the most familiar with. Most of us have had some sort of interaction with Mary's story. And if we're being honest, out of everyone in the birth narratives, Mary is being asked to do the most. Like, can we just agree on that? Mary is being asked 
to do the most. Not only is she tasked with literally carrying the Messiah in her womb, but she's also asked to do so in the most mysterious and unforeseen circumstances imaginable. And yet Mary, in all of her goodness and all of her innocence, also had a moment where she sort of paused and questioned. And I'm not saying that Mary was not full of faith. I genuinely believe that she was. But she had a moment where after the angel said what was said, she said, okay, that's great. I'm all in. But are you sure? Because I'm really new to this betrothal thing. Like I'm really early on in this marriage process. Our series this morning leads us to the character of Joseph. I think if we're being honest, Joseph is the character that most of us just sort of roll right on by. Like, yeah, Joseph was there. We, we want to acknowledge that. He played his part. He earned his plastic statue in the nativity scene. Like, he, he earned it. And yet, for the most part, Joseph just falls to the wayside. And I think that the reason that happens is because outside of the birth narratives and just a few other small instances, we really don't have much detail about Joseph or his life. And what happens is that as Jesus begins to take center stage, Joseph slowly starts to fade into the background. I saw a video a few weeks ago of this little boy who was picked up from school by his mom, and he was telling her about the role that he'd been chosen for in the school Christmas play. And he said, Mom, I got a classic one. And she was so excited. She was like, great. Did, did you get the role of Joseph? Nope. Did you get the role of one of the wise men? Nope. Did you get the role of the innkeeper? Nope. She kept working her way down the list until she said, well, who did you get? He said, Mom, I got the role of door holder number three. <laughs> and it was such a beautiful moment. Like, the mom responded beautifully. She showered him with praise. She was so excited. He offered her his interpretation of how that character should be played. And I think he did a really good job. I think he was onto something life-changing. And I was equally as convicted as I was encouraged as I watched that video. But I share that with you this morning because I think in a lot of ways, Joseph and that little boy are very, very similar. Yeah, Joseph has a bigger role to play within the birth story, but in the larger story of Scripture, or even the larger story of just the Gospels, Joseph's role is incredibly tiny. And yet what we can see in Joseph is a willingness to step into that role with a radical humility that I think most of us are tempted to overlook. Because on, on some level, all of us like recognition, right? We like to be recognized. We like to be praised. In, in many ways, sometimes we can often crave it. Rarely do, do we fight each other to race towards the roles or the opportunities that would leave us serving on the sidelines or in the background. I'm not shaming anybody. Like, please don't hear me say that. I, I love the spotlight. My mother's here. You can ask her afterwards. I have always loved the spotlight. The difference is that oftentimes in our pursuit of the spotlight or recognition or praise or whatever it might be, we often put ourselves in a position where we want to be elevated to a position of importance and worth. And while we might not say it out loud, oftentimes we can believe that we've earned that pedestal that we can step up on to be celebrated and applauded. What I hope you see in Joseph's story this morning is that while things like celebration and applause are nice things, they're not even inherently bad things. 
Like they each have their time and their season. There is something radically powerful about stepping into a role and being faithful when almost no one will remember it. Joseph is not the main character of this story. And yet Matthew, the author, is incredibly intentional about the details that he uses and the way that he writes this story. And I think he does this for a few reasons. Look with me, if you will, back to the passage. I'm going to reread for us verses 18 and 19. Chapter 1, 18 and 19 says, The birth of Jesus Christ came about this way. After his mother Mary had been engaged to Joseph, it was discovered before they came together that she was pregnant from the Holy Spirit. So her husband Joseph, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her publicly, decided to divorce her secretly. Now, I want to look at this story in two parts because I think that the way Matthew writes it gives us a glimpse at what's happening in Joseph's life and then the larger story around it. And a helpful question to ask is that since we don't know much about Joseph, what do the details that Matthew gives us tell us about him? In Matthew's description, we learn that at some point after the families of Mary and Joseph had agreed to this union, they were betrothed. Now, we don't use that word very often, although I'd love to start a campaign to bring it back. I think it's a great word. But betrothal is very similar to our modern idea of engagement, okay? And yet the only difference is is that in the ancient Near East, marriages were often accompanied with things like gifts, with things like a dowry. And in this, it was considered to be a legally binding contract. The only way you could break that contract was through giving a bill of divorce. And so as Matthew tells the story, Joseph discovers that Mary's pregnant. Obviously, this is the last thing that Joseph has expected. I mean, I think it is important for us to try to place ourselves in Joseph's shoes, to try to place ourselves in a spot where we can understand a bit what Joseph might have been going through. In that moment, I mean, think about it. His marriage to Mary had been planned for a long time. They've had conversations with families. They've made arrangements. They've probably shared hopeful visions of their future with one another. And in the blink of an eye, all of that is gone. All of that has changed. And for Joseph, the reason that it's changed is one of the most incomprehensible things he could have ever been told. I'm sure most of us, if we were in this place, our reactions would have been all over the place. But one of the things that I was reminded of as we walked through our focus study the last few weeks is that when you approach a narrative like this, the author will always give us clues and details around a character that either highlights actions they want us to emulate or actions that we should avoid. And I think Matthew does the same thing with Joseph. Look at verse 19. This is his one verse description of Joseph. Verse 19 says, so her husband Joseph, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her publicly, decided to divorce her secretly. Again, the fact that Joseph's whole person, like the entirety of his being, gets boiled down into one verse should scream to us to pay attention to what's happening. Matthew describes him as righteous, and it says that he was not wanting to disgrace Mary publicly. Some other translations will use the word unwilling which I actually like better because unwilling shows me the sheer determination that Joseph took upon himself to protect Mary at all costs. And so in one verse, we go from knowing nothing about Joseph to knowing foundational aspects 
of his heart and his character. Matthew says that he's righteous. What does that mean? Does it mean that Joseph was without sin? Absolutely not. Does it mean that Joseph is radically faithful to God and the things that God has asked him to do? Absolutely it does. Because in the law that God gave to Israel through Moses, there are ways to handle this exact situation. And yet Joseph responds in a way that is the exact opposite. It's definitely the exact opposite of how most of us would react. It is 100% the opposite of how most of the other men in Joseph's circles would have reacted. Because Joseph is righteous and because he loves the Lord, Joseph is able to look past the letter of the law. Joseph is able to look past the letter of the law and see its heart in the exact same way that that baby Mary is carrying is going to do some decades later. When Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, you have heard it said, do not commit adultery. And yet I tell you that if you look at someone lustfully, you have committed adultery in your heart. Jesus is telling both the people and the religious leaders that the law is meant to transform the heart, not shackle it. And Joseph in this moment is such a beautiful example of the heart that the law was meant to produce because the law was not meant to produce robotic men and women who do this and don't do that. The law was meant to produce men and women who obeyed God's commands because they could see that it was for their own good. And they could see that God's laws, his commands, his words are a reflection of God's heart and his character. And so Joseph has two options. Option one, he can drag Mary into the public square. He can shame her however possible to get his name completely clear. That option most likely would have resulted in Mary being stoned to death. We may not like that. We don't understand it. But it is an option that was endorsed within the law. The other option, and the one that Joseph adamantly decides upon, is to take Mary both without shame to her person and without risk to her personal safety, divorce her quietly, and move on. But recognize that that option doesn't necessarily place Joseph in this, like, totally acceptable place. Like, it's going to become obvious as time goes on and Mary's pregnancy progresses what happened, and Joseph's still going to get looked at with a bunch of sideways glances. He doesn't care. He does not care. Matthew tells us that he decided to divorce her secretly. That word can be translated to the phrase to cut off, which means that in Joseph's mind, he cut off any other option. There was never any other option in Joseph's mind of how he was going to respond to Mary outside of the one that was rooted in mercy and compassion. So while we don't know a lot about Joseph's life, what we do know is that Joseph was committed to the words of God. And his commitment to the words of God produced actions that reflected the character of God. So that's what Matthew gives us in terms of Joseph's story. Let's zoom out a little bit and let's look at what he gives us in terms of the whole story. Look back with me. I'll read the rest of it again, verses 20 through 25. 20 through 25 says, But after he had considered these things, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, Don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife, 
because what has been conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to name him Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. Now, all of this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. See, the virgin will become pregnant and give birth to a son, and they will name him Emmanuel, which is translated, God is with us. When Joseph woke up, he did as the Lord's angel had commanded him. He married her, but he did not have sexual relations with her until she gave birth to a son, and he named him Jesus. So our story rolls on. Joseph is still very much in the midst of this very unforeseen and very heartbreaking circumstance. Joseph's visited by an angel. Remember, this is not anything new. God's been communicating like this for a long time, most recently through Mary and Zechariah. And as usual, I love this. When an angel shows up, they always also say the phrase, do not be afraid, which tells me every time they showed up, everyone was very afraid. And the angel tells him, everything that Mary has told you, is true. I think there's a lot of ways that we could wonder how Joseph felt in that moment. I have to believe that when he heard those words, that it was a moment of profound freedom for Joseph. Joseph is just trying to do the right thing. And here he finds out, after probably what was the worst night of sleep he had ever had, that God is doing something huge. God is doing something huge. Why do I say that? Well, because of a few details. Remember, we are 2,000 years plus on the other side of this moment, meaning that we have had 2,000 years plus to think on it. Joseph is living this moment in real time. Matthew is writing it just a handful of years later to his audience. And because we've heard this story or something like it so many times, what tends to happen is we become numb to the details. But Matthew's original audience, Joseph and Mary, they're not. They're looking for things. They're picking up on things, meaning that when the angel says, Joseph, son of David, Matthew's audience is going to pause, and they're going to say, whoa, that's important. That's really important. Because everyone in Israel, including Joseph and including Mary, knew that the phrase, son of David, is a phrase that is immediately supposed to link someone with the Messiah that God has been promising for generations. And in that moment, Joseph is immediately taken from a fringe kind of background character, and he's placed center stage. Because the angel also says, you, Joseph, will name him Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. In the act of Joseph naming Jesus, Joseph becomes his legal father. And as his legal father, Jesus is a legal descendant of the line of David. Matthew is telling his readers, and he's telling us, this Jesus is the Messiah. And what will Messiah do? He will save his people from their sins. David noted for us last week how differently Messiah would have been thought of in Israel at this time. Messiah at this time was considered to be the one who would overthrow the oppressive Roman government who would reestablish the law throughout the land, who would elevate Israel back into a place of political power and influence, all by the hand of their warrior savior. And yet Matthew says, here is your savior. He's not riding in on a war horse. He's not brandishing a sword with the blood of his enemies. 
He's not coming to you in power and in glory, but he's coming to you in utter humility in the form of a baby. Joseph's response to this news is not very dramatic. He doesn't respond in prophecy like Zechariah does. He doesn't burst into song like Mary did. He simply responds with obedience. How boring. No questions, no, yeah, but there's not a moment where Joseph says, okay, I'm willing to follow along. I'll, I'll obey, but I need a few more details before I do so. Matthew says that he simply woke up and he obeyed what God told him to do through the angel. For me, when I see a moment like this in a person's life, and and I say person because it's very important for us to remember that Joseph was a real person, just like you and me. When I see moments like this, I'm tempted to ask the question, how? How in the world does Joseph wake up and just be like, okay, let's do this? Because that's not how I would respond. I mean, would you? If you went through all of this, you'd heard what you had heard, would you wake up and say, let's ride? I I know that I would not. But as I've walked with Jesus more and more, the question that I've learned is a better one to ask is not how, but why. Why does Joseph respond in the way that he did? I think the answer for us is in the passage that Matthew quotes from Isaiah. This is one that most of us will be familiar with. You either heard it in a church service, maybe a a Christmas song. I mean, goodness, even Charlie Brown quotes this one. And the reason that this passage can give so much strength to Joseph, a man who had had his life planned out most likely, and now everything that he had thought he was moving towards, it's gone. And now he's taken on this new vision for his life, one that he has no control over, no idea how it's going to happen. And he wakes up and he says, let's do this. The reason he can have that hope, the reason that you and I can have the courage to fall on our knees and surrender to Jesus is not simply through the miracle of a virgin birth, though that is important. It's through the promise of Emmanuel. Emmanuel, the passage says, is translated, God is with us. God is not some far-off, distant manipulator of our lives. He's not, as some have pictured him, some angry man in the sky seeking to rob us of all our joy in life by placing rules and regulations. He is the lover of your soul. He knit you together in your mother's womb. And he is the one who from the very beginning, when sin entered the world in that garden, he immediately promised to one day send one who would crush evil and conquer death. Emmanuel is a promise that is meant to bring hope. It's given here before Jesus is even born. God himself is coming to you in the form of this Jesus, to save you from your sins and to do for you what you could never do for yourself. But it's also given at the end of Matthew's gospel, in Matthew 28. Matthew 28, a passage known as the Great Commission, it's, I would say, pretty famous, at least in my head. Um, It's this moment where, where Jesus is giving his disciples 
um, a newfound purpose and mission. He says, go out, make disciples of all nations, teaching them the things that I have taught you. And the part that we almost always leave off is what he says after that. It's literally the last sentence in the book of Matthew where Jesus has just given his disciples a new mission. Everything they thought they were moving toward, it's redirected in the same way that just happened to Joseph. And Jesus looks at his disciples and he says, and remember, I am with you to the end of the age. The gap between Matthew 1 and Matthew 28 is some 30 plus years. The promise made in both chapters is the very same. Several chapters before that great commission, Jesus was gathered with his friends in an upper room. And it was in that upper room that he told them that he was going to die and that his death was going to bring about something new. And that new thing that was brought about is the very accomplishing of the same thing that was told to Joseph all those many years ago on that sleepless night. And it was in that upper room that Jesus took two elements, the bread and the wine, and he gave them new, profound meaning. As he tore the bread, he said, this is my body broken for you. As he took the cup of wine, he said, this is my blood poured out for you. Take them both and remember. And so this morning, we're going to do just that. As the deacons come and they, they pass out the elements to you, I, I want to challenge you to do one thing. As you're holding your element, I want you to meditate on the reality of Emmanuel. Meditate on the reality that God is with us. Wherever you are this morning, in here or up here, the creator of the universe sees you. Whatever you brought with you into this room this morning, maybe feeling like you don't have the strength to carry it anymore, the lover of your souls is with you. That is the promise of Emmanuel. So as you have your element, I just encourage you to meditate on that. Talk to the Lord. Ask him to remind you of that reality. And as a reminder, after you get your element, hold on to it for just a few moments, and then we'll take it together. Would you pray with me this morning? God, I confess that when I thought about preaching the story of Joseph, I wondered how I would talk for 30 minutes and I can also confess I'm so grateful to have been humbled this week as I've dug into this story and as I've looked at this man who is such a man of surrender I ask that you could work that in all of us that we would all be like Joseph willing willing to step forward in boldness, but also willing to let go in courage. I know that all of us have different things that we wrestle with and we hold on to and that we carry. I pray this morning that we would be reminded of two realities. 
The first one is that you are Emmanuel. That you are a God who always has, always, wi- always is, and always will be a God who desires to be with his people. And the second thing that I pray that we would hold on to is that this is a community that is willing to be that as well. That we're called to carry things with one another, to lean into what has been placed upon our shoulders. God, be with us. Be with this communion. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.